If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is presented by Mountain Tough and Yeti. I partnered with Mountain Tough because a lot of the tactics and hunt styles I talk about in this podcast require you to be in the best physical shape you can. Their app is designed for hunters to get you ready for the backcountry or any hunt you have planned this fall. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and they make some of the toughest products out there that are built to last and they're built for the wild. Welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast, everyone. Today, we're going to dive into what I'm calling the postseason wrap-up countdown. This podcast is going to be a two-parter as I count down my top hunting highlights from this season, followed next week by the top bloopers or the moments of the season that I like to call the shoulda, woulda, and couldas. This week, though, we're going to start it out at the top and look at that highlight reel. I'll count down some of my favorite memories and a few of the moves that I made that turned out successful. This season, I had some really great experiences and encountered a lot of new things. I got to hunt a new way and learn to hunt with a mouth tab due to my injured wrist. I also got to hunt with some new people this season and got to hunt and explore some new locations and spots. So let's jump into those great moments and maybe analyze why a few of them panned out the way that they did. All right, well, let's get this countdown started off. We're going to start at number 10. Number 10, I'm calling the red deer. Now, this year I got the opportunity to hunt red deer in Argentina, and it was a lot of fun. It's something that I've wanted to do for a very long time, but that time of year I was generally either guiding in New Zealand or in New Zealand during the roar. And so it was, it was awesome to find the time to be able to go down to Argentina and experience what the roar is like down there. They have some really great free-range red deer hunting. One of my favorite moments, though, of that hunt wasn't even necessarily the deer that I shot, and we got into some big free-range red deer. It was really thick country, and I I told the story already. But I think one of my favorite moments from that trip was actually the first day, the first encounter, calling in this younger red stag. And I don't know what it was about that. I think it was just that sometimes you get those animals that just act right right? You do the call, you're in the right position, they come in and it's like you almost can't even scare them away. It's just one of those encounters that's, at the time, it was because it was the first day and a younger deer decided to pass it up. And I'm glad I did because we got a lot of great encounters and a lot of great action and kind of cut it down to the wire, to be honest. But that first encounter was just so memorable. It was like, okay, it's like you've traveled so far and you're kind of learning the land and how these animals are acting. And then you just get into it. You kind of hook into it here. And it's just like hunting everywhere else. It's like hunting in New Zealand or even elk in Montana or Idaho or Colorado. It doesn't really matter. It's like you're calling to elk 
or calling to animals, calling to red deer, whatever, and they're responding and acting like animals, and you get this really awesome encounter where one comes in to essentially point-blank range, and it almost just gives you too many shot opportunities. So that was just one of my favorite memories from that trip, and just the trip in whole uh, was really awesome, but that was just one of those things that stood out to me. Uh, let's go to with number nine. Number nine is my first mouth tab success. You know, I think that when I kind of started down that journey of hunting with the mouth tab, I really wasn't sure how successful I would be. And then um, I was actually in New Zealand and I thought, well, this will be a good place to hunt with it. My wife was going to hunt with a rifle. And so I knew that we'd, we'd find some success and have a good hunt. And we were actually filming that for um, a Saco film. And then I took a little bit of time at the end to hunt with my bow and I, I actually didn't think that I would be able to take a deer because I was fairly new to it. I just got started. I just started shooting. And I'm like, okay, there, there's a lot of things that I'm going to have to figure out here. Um, but I found a good buck, and it happened to be a good buck. I probably would have taken whatever buck I could get close to, but it happened to be a good buck. And I, I was watching him as a post-rut, well, I guess like kind of the end of the rut, right? So we're – a lot of animals do this. It's the same type of behavior where uh, mule deer, white tails, elk, whatever, kind of at the tail end of the rut, what happens is they're, they're pretty wore out, but the big mature animals still want to kind of show that they run the show. So they go in there like first thing in the morning, they're chasing does around, or if it's elk, they're chasing cows around, whatever. And then like mid morning, they pull off and they go in bed off on their own and then they get back into the action when things start picking up later in the evening uh, so i was watching this good buck and i i probably told this story before but watching him thinking okay he's gonna split away from this group he's in the open and sure enough split away from the group and everything was right he was bedded i had a little bit of a rise where i could crawl into position i set my cameras up i crawled in with the camera i self-filmed the whole thing and being and then snuck in there drew back he was bedded kind of quartering away and gave me a good shot. I, I drew back, raised up, let that arrow fly, and it found its mark. I had actually the day before stalked in on a doe and missed the doe. So it was my second shot at an animal with the mouth tab, and it hit where I was aiming, and it was just like a really incredible feeling to know, okay, I put in all this work. I wasn't sure how my season was going to go, and then I started to say, you know, it's, things started to look like, oh man, not only can it go really good, but it can be a really successful way of hunting as well. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I had to hunt the rest of the year like that. I At the time, I didn't know if it was just going to be temporary. I was thinking it'd probably just be maybe that hunt and then I'd be shooting a regular bow shortly after, uh, maybe one more hunt with it and I'd be good to go, but ended up being the entire fall season, which um, I had a lot of great experiences as well throughout the fall. So that first encounter, that first getting in, it kind of was just almost like a first bow hunt again. And uh, I, I thought that that was really cool. And, and the things that went right in there was the fact that, you know, sometimes just singling out that lone animal, you know, looking for those right opportunities. There's a lot of opportunity to make a play earlier. There's a lot of opportunity to rush in and, and try to, to push it, but, but just sitting back and being patient and going, okay, I have to get really close with this. I need to be 30 yards or less at the time. That was as, as far as I was comfortable shooting. 
and I, I really wanted to make a good shot. I wanted to get into range and I knew that I needed everything to be right. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really fudge on the fact that like, okay, it's not a, an ideal situation. So I'm just going to try to push it. And I wanted to wait and it was a good buck too. So I really wanted to wait for that right opportunity. So by just pulling back, being patient, uh, I found my opportunity and got my shot. Let's go to number eight. Number eight in the countdown, I'm calling the ginger pig. You know, like, what's the ginger pig? I thought I'd maybe told this story already, but then I realized it was on the Vortex podcast and not actually on this podcast. So I knew that I talked about it on a podcast, but I was hunting in Hawaii and uh, there was this, I was, I was, I was taking some other guys out and we were hunting axis deer, but I wasn't necessarily, I was just looking to shoot some meat. I really wanted to shoot a pig, maybe a couple axis does. And so the first morning I saw this pig that was like red colored. It was really awesome. Like ginger colored. So I was like, Ooh, the ginger pig. I don't know why, but I just became obsessed with that pig. And then we spotted a buck and ended up hunting the deer. And then later on in the trip, I split up with the guys and was off on my own. And this is fairly recently after my second surgery. So I really couldn't use my hand at all. Like I couldn't even move my fingers. It was like, I didn't have a lot of, of function out of it. It was in a fresh cast. So <laughs> I was like, it, it was just not necessarily ideal, but I, I found the ginger pig and I'd split off with the guys and I was, I was by myself and which is fine, but I kind of needed a hand when it came to processing the animals, like cutting them up. Cause I, I practiced shooting my bow, but the thing that I hadn't practiced was the one handed slicing and dicing. So anyways, this, I was stalking some deer and then looked down and see, I keep jumping all over with the story, but I was stalking some deer, look down, see the ginger pig. I abandoned stalking the deer to go after this pig and this pig's just head down feeding. So I sneak in to about 30 yards, I think. And I'm trying to, because I was by myself, I was trying to self-film it, but all I had was my cell phone. So I'm trying to stick the phone in like these branches. There's all these little sticks and stuff. I'm trying to balance it on that to try to get video. I don't know why I wanted to do that. I should have just gone into straight hunt mode. But I was like, oh, this will be fun. Show the guys like snuck in and got the pig. So I can't get the video right. So I just decided, all right, well, he's gonna, he's gonna feed away and he's, I've got a good opportunity. I was messing with the video cause he was kind of quartering to me and I wanted him to either be broadside or quartering away. So I just sitting there patiently letting him feed, letting him feed, get my opportunity, draw back, shoot. And it was just a great shot. He runs off. And so I'm thinking, Oh, this is perfect. And I did have where I was at. The service was kind of hit or miss. So I trail the, the pig and get to the pig and realize that my phone is now dead. I think I got like one picture as I walked up to the pig and then that was it. The phone's completely dead. And I've got a fairly good ways to walk back to the vehicle. I don't have <laughs> – I forgot my flashlight. I didn't have any service to call anyone and be like, hey, you guys want to give me a hand? And I could have just, of course, just walked back and waited and, and gone back and – dealt with it but that's not how i roll i like to just get down there and try to figure things out so i uh decided all right i'm just gonna cut this thing up but i had to be really careful to, like i've got open wounds and i do not want this like 
pig blood to mix in with the cast. So I've like got some gloves on and doing the whole thing, keeping my arm out of the way. And I was like one handed cutting. I, I'm pretty sure I had a pig foot in my mouth at one point just because I needed something to hold the pig's leg. But I got the whole thing cut up, butchered up in the backpack, packed it out. And yeah, the story of the ginger pig. That was a, just a fun hunt. And it, just one of those times where it worked out. Uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun thinking back on that memory. Number seven, I'm going to say the Mouflon Ram. You know, I think one of the things when I think about hunting, and I think what's my number one hunting tactic that I find the most success with? And if I was just to pick one tactic, if I could say, you do this and you're going to be successful, it's persistence. I've talked about it before, but this hunt was one of those hunts that that really rang true. And I think that that's why it, it definitely made that top 10. I've hunted mouflon sheep a number of times. They're very, they can be very difficult to get close to. They've got incredible eyesight. If they're in really dry country where I was hunting them, um, it can be very difficult. And to get it like a, a good ram can be even more difficult. And then now I'm, I was on this particular hunt tasked with shooting once again, the mouth tab. I mean, to like beat a dead horse and, and keep, but that's, that was my season, you know? And that was, this was very early on. This was like in the springtime, but pretty early on, I was successful in New Zealand and had that first success, but to go, okay, can I do this hunt on something that's very hard to get close to in the first place. Most of the time you want to be taking maybe further shots. And I was like, okay, I got to be 35 yards or less. Now I, I was able to work it out to 35 yards or whatever, um, maybe even further, but I really wanted to be within under 30 yards if possible. And so, you know, I saw a lot of sheep and I just needed those right encounters. And it was almost like every time I, made a move I would get in and it was like I was there but something would go wrong something with the draw would go wrong or whatever something would just go wrong but just that being persistent and just having that persistence and then when that right ram came out I was already at full draw let the arrow fly I already told the story on the podcast but man that was just a real highlight of the year for me just having that opportunity taking the best ram that I've mouflon ram that I've taken and to do it with that mouth tab was, I don't know, it was just a, a really cool feeling. And I think that it just kind of made me feel like, okay, anything's possible when I'm out hunting as long as I'm persistent enough to make it possible. And that doesn't even necessarily mean, oh, you need a lot of days. But in those days, just getting those opportunities and just kind of grinding it out and, and going that extra distance and, and just doing all the things that you need to do to find that success and just doing them over and over and over until finally that intersects. And, and it intersected and I found uh, success on, on the sheep and just kind of focused on hunting the sheep and, and was successful in, in taking that ram. And that was, man, that was just a really cool, cool experience. All right, number six, I got to say the last day bull. And when I think about it, I don't know how many times that I've been elk hunting. And I, I, I actually did a podcast on this particular topic. I called it the stopper, right? But making that call, 
It was my la- the last evening of my last day to hunt. I didn't even have a lot of time to hunt in the first place, just a, essentially a long weekend. I've told this story in a previous podcast, but you know the thing that I think about is everything pretty much went right until it went wrong. And when it went wrong, I made it right. Just by doing that bugle, that stop call of like, I figured that that elk knew why he was spooked. That elk got up and ran out of his bed, but he had no clue why. And that happens all the time. I could have been 900 yards away from that elk, watching that elk, and maybe another bull had walked up the same way I did and maybe stepped on that. I don't know if he heard me or what, right? He didn't win me. He didn't, I don't think he saw me. So he must have heard something and blew out of there. Well, another bull could have done that. He was just running to his cows. By bugling, that got him once again interested in what was going on, then moving up to the rise where I could see the bull was there, and the rest is history. And I was able to take a bull this season with my bow because of that immediate calling action. And that's something that I've talked about before, but, man, when it goes right, it makes the highlight reel. And and it's those moments where – it was going wrong and then it went right and walked out of the mountain that day with a bull in the backpack. All right, we're going to jump to number five. Number five, highlight of the season. I'm going to just title, I titled it Camp Life. You know, some of the best moments are kind of that post-success or maybe even not even post-success, but I feel like when we talk about hunting or maybe it's just you know especially on this podcast we talk about those moments in the hunt like when you're in the field in the hunt but we don't always talk about the moments around the hunt right and I think that that's something that gets overlooked a lot when you think about the hunting experience as a whole there's so many little facets to it there's you know the challenge of it there's uh you know the the prep and the even sometimes how how much work it takes to find the right tags, right? And then you do all your research and and find an area to hunt. And then you're in the field and you're just grinding it out. And and then you get your opportunity and you've got all these tactics and these other things. But we sometimes forget about those moments that really make the hunt. Not every hunt's the same, right? But the like those times when maybe you're hunting with your family or your buddies around camp, like cooking over the campfire just whether you're wherever you're at like just enjoying those moments in camp after the hunt telling stories and sharing stories about what happened that day when you guys all split up right i don't know i know i was hunting with a a group of friends and it's like every evening i think the the most exciting thing was getting back and like sharing the story of what you encountered and then listening to the stories of like dude somebody else was successful oh that's awesome let's hear the story or something went wrong or telling the story of when something went right or wrong or whatever just those those moments in and around that kind of camp life that coming back to the camp and sharing those moments with the other people that you're with and then especially when you're successful you know cooking up and having that camp meal of like you know, whatever it is, whatever you're successful with. And, and this season, you know, I got, I had a lot of those trips where those camp moments were actually probably some of the more important moments and memories of the trip. And this particular one, I was hunting with Tim Montana. He's a musician and, and it was really cool because, you know, I was 
he, he hunts and, and this was his kind of his first, I, I was bow hunting and he was actually hunting with a crossbow. He could have been hunting with a rifle. Like there's a rifle season and he could have hunted with a rifle, but you know, he, he wasn't, he's never bow hunted and he just thought like, Oh, I'll, I'll go crossbow hunting instead of rifle hunting. And I thought that was cool because he, he got the experience of the stock and, and getting close and, and what that entailed. And, and it was really fun to kind of show him, you know, some of the things uh, that in, are involved with getting close on animals and stuff like that. So uh, that was a lot of fun. But I think one of the the coolest memories from that trip was just coming back around the campfire and I shot an antelope. And so I, I took the front shoulders out and did like a slow cooked meal. And then I did like some heart burgers. So I did like a, a stew over the, I, I brought my Brio Y series grill. So it's like a, it's like a fire pit, but you can cook over it and it's real portable. So it's got like collapsing legs and stuff. So I brought that out for the hunt. And so I, I just had a cast iron and did like a bunch of enchiladas, just like kind of whatever I could find enchilada sauce and, you know, chilies and all this stuff. And then bacon, I put a lot of bacon in there too. Slow cook the front shoulders for tacos. And then did some, I did some like heart burger slider things and pulled that, like pulled that shredded meat and then grilled the heart over the fire on the grate. And then put that on like some, I think they were Hawaiian sweet rolls. I always, if, I, if they're available, I always go for the Hawaiian sweet roll. And then with that, some grilled onions. And man, it was just like the best camp meal. And then Tim's there like playing this new song that he just wrote. And it, and it was just kind of like, I, I don't know. It was a really cool experience because the song just, I felt like it was like, this song is like the theme song to my life. You know, it's about being out in the mountains and, and, uh, yeah, it just, it was just a really cool camp life experience, you know, and, and sometimes those are the, the memories that, you know, I think we don't talk about enough in the hunt, the, the, those memories and moments around the hunt, you know, as hunters, we all know that, but I think that those are some of the fun things to share. And that was definitely a highlight for me. All right. We're getting down to the wire here. We're, we're running up to number four. I'm calling this tagged out. This was my first week. Uh, I was or guiding the first week of rifle season for elk this year. And I had, I was hunting with uh, some people. Well, it's it it actually a good buddy of mine. And he brought his wife and his daughter out. And uh, his daughter is six years old. And he, so he had like a pack frame. And his daughter probably, I think she's probably like 70 pounds. He's like, this isn't going to hinder the hunt. She can walk when she can walk, and then I'll pack her when I need to pack her. And I was like, okay, elk her at the top of the mountain. We're going to the top of the mountain. He's like, yep. And he packed her. He was like packing a hind quarter, essentially, everywhere we went. Like every day on the hunt was a pack out for him. And uh, he really wanted his wife to shoot her first elk, and she got her first elk, and that was a story I told a few podcasts back. But then he also had an elk tag and, and ended up, he actually had two elk tags. He had a cow tag and a bull tag and filled both those tags. And then they both had deer tags and we filled both those tags. So in the course of five days, we shot five animals, three elk and two deer. His wife shot a deer, he shot a deer, and then he got the bull and the cow and she got a bull. So it was a very, very successful week. And it was awesome to see, you know, him and his daughter was there for, pretty much everything you know he's packing her around and that was like okay that's 
a, a dad goal right there. You know, you can bring your kid on the hunt. And that's kind of like the philosophy my wife and I have had with our daughter is just kind of bring her, you know, it might be a little extra back work. It might be, you know, slower at times or whatever. You got to stop and do different things. But that was just a, it was just a really awesome week. It was probably one of my favorite weeks this season. And, you know, I think one of the things that I learned that week, though, aside from all the other stuff, was just, you know, we, we were really successful because we, we found elk and we hunted those elk that we found, even though they were doing something very stupid. It was like we didn't have great weather. And where I was finding the elk was somewhere that I just generally didn't find elk, if that makes sense, right? Like, you know an area real well and the elk do a certain thing. And it's like, okay, we found elk in a spot that they normally don't do that. And I think, you know, the pressure of opening weekend, maybe enough people running around got, the, you know, sometimes elk will be in places that elk don't like to be. But we're finding elk where elk maybe necessarily didn't like to be. And so to to continue to go back to that spot was always hard because every morning I'd, I'd want to go to where is I like, okay, let's go to a better spot. Let's not waste our time in this spot, but we decided to keep wasting our time in that spot and we continued to get into elk and we found success by doing that. And I think that looking back at that, that was a good play, even though everything in my body was like, I really want to go to this top of the mountain, other spot where there's, you know, traditionally a lot of, you know, just those places that you really like to go. Uh, but instead we were finding elk where the elk were and continuing to hunt those elk there and just assuming that, you know, the next day wasn't going to be any different. And, and by doing that, we, we were extremely successful and it, and had a really good week on top of that. So I think that that was just, that's just something to think about. And, you know, you hear people say that all the time, don't leave elk to find elk, which I generally don't do. But when you find elk in a weird spot, it's like, What's going to make them want to be there again, right? Uh, is it worth wasting a day in an area where there probably is a low chance of finding elk there again, and then here they are again? So that's what I learned from that. All right, number three. I'm going to call number three. That I did, this, is, this all lined up and actually rhymes. I, this was completely unintentional. But number three is the big three in the tree. The early August archery mule deer hunt that I had this year, if you know me, you know that I love chasing mule deer with the bow, and I also love big three-point mule deer. So it was kind of the trifecta. Oh, another another three-point pun here. Wow, gosh, just knocking them out of the park today. Anyways, you know, I think that when I think about if I'm going highlight reel of the year, I mean, sometimes – the success is awesome, but sometimes it's those other little moments in the hunt that kind of hit that highlight reel. And actually when I spotted that buck in that spot, that was the part of the hunt that was kind of like the apex of the hunt for me. I'd spotted other good deer. I've actually spotted a lot of nice deer um, earlier in the hunt. So it wasn't like, oh, it was a giant buck. It was a really nice buck. But the fact that it was like, when I saw that deer, I was like glassing and it's like, okay, man, when you're looking at a spot and you go, I wish there was a deer there because everything about that screams good stock. And I looked and really analyzed it and it just kind of materialized. Oh, a buck and not just a buck, a good buck, a shooter buck. 
and everything was right. And I don't know what it is, but like the thing that I really love about mule deer hunting, if I was trying to describe my favorite part about mule deer hunting, is kind of like that anticipation during the stock that like you have to get so close and it's so hard to get so close. And when you have an opportunity where everything could go right, kind of like that, that anticipation that my way over to that buck, that, that kind of almost like heart pounding experience of like, this is going to go down, right? If everything stays how it is, I'm going to get my chance. And that I think is some of the, like the thing that makes me keep coming back and, and wanting to chase mule deer and the, the exciting part about it, kind of that anticipation of like, everything looks good right now. Now I just got to get in there and not mess it up. And that, that to me is like that fun part, that kind of unknowing portion, but still like that really good opportunity where this, like that high optimism, like this could really work out. Like everything is lining up right for this to work out. And in that instance, it did work out. Everything worked out, got in there, sat there, classic mule deer. Like, you know, you go in, you think, okay, that buck's going to move pretty soon. I got to get there before he moves. And then a cloud came over and I had to wait for an hour or two hours or something. And then like sitting on the deer and sitting on a deer that's bedded and waiting for your opportunity. That's just classic early season mule deer hunting. And I loved every second of it. And then to take that deer was just kind of the cherry on top of the whipped cream. I guess that's, I don't know what that saying is, but that's the way I would layer a Sunday. That was a lot of fun. All right, number two, miraculously rhymes without knowing it as well. I'm going to say number two is hey boo. The caribou hunt that I did in Greenland this year with the mouth tab was probably, I mean, it was one of the coolest hunts I've been on for a lot of reasons. I think that it was just a really cool place. Caribou, to me, are one of the coolest animals i think it's a a real bucket list animal because they're just i love antlers i love deer and they're just big antlers deer and they're very conducive to bow hunting like they they can put themselves in some real bow huntable situations but also outside of that just the people that i was on that hunt with and i know that i talked about that hunt and that was you know i definitely mentioned that in the story but uh, it was just a really, really enjoyable experience. And actually, right now, you can watch a lot of that. So on YouTube, if you go to my YouTube channel, Remy Warren YouTube channel, I created a playlist. So one of the guys that was hunting with me, Pedro Empuero, he's got a lot of the episodes on his channel. And then actually on Monday, after you listen to this podcast, so next Monday, in a few days, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah, Monday, four days, you can watch my hunt on there the first caribou that i took and then two weeks later i'll have that'll be on my channel and then i'll have the other caribou and then some of the other guys hunts but i'll have a playlist on there if you want to watch all of them there's about six episodes there i think they're, they turned out really good just kind of more of like vlog style just it was just a bunch of friends filming each other but it, man it was a, it was an awesome trip the highlight of this one I think was, you know, all those other things. But then, you know, when you're bow hunting as a bow hunter, I think that there's, I don't even know the, there's a certain addiction to bow hunting. And, and there's a portion of that addiction for me that is like, 
making those perfect shots in in some way like it feels so good to release an arrow and it and it just go right where you want it to hit where you want it to make that perfect shot like there's no better feeling in bow hunting than making a perfect shot and there's really no lower feeling in bow hunting than making a bad shot and so the thing that you know i think kind of highlight for that trip is through the experience that i've had learning with this mouth tab and i really wanted to put emphasis to myself on making good shots because it, i felt like you know with a regular bow it, i don't even have to think about making good shots or or not that not that i you know i'm not just like i i can make bad shots too right but it's it's a lot easier to make good shots because you practice all the time and used to it and i've done it for a long time but with the mouth tab like making good shots took a lot more effort it took a lot more effort to get the arrow to where i wanted it to go it took a lot more effort to think through like there was just so much more for me in taking the shot and now you know having done it for a season like i think i probably at some point got to the point where it became a little bit easier but uh still i think you know for the guys that are out there you know that you hunt like that all the time in a mouth tab and that's your style of hunting maybe you have some kind of permanent disability where you can't draw a bow one-handed my hat's off to you guys because it's not easy and i don't think you know i think a lot of people maybe you know don't don't think about it like that like it, it is there is a lot of challenge to it and so um, i have a lot of respect for you guys that that get out there and that's how you hunt you're in day in and day out it, it's it's really cool but you know i i was th- sorry i was going back to thinking about like the, those top moments and and making those good shots so i really wanted to to make those perfect shots and really wanted to pick my spot and wait for that right opportunity where i knew that shot was going to connect and it was gonna you just let that perfect arrow fly and so for me it's like i can there's a few moments in bow hunting where i i kind of it's like that that flight of that arrow just sticks in my mind and that is one of them i think that you'll get to watch the hunt here in a couple days if you choose to but man that was just a real highlight for me and I think that the things that went right in there, if I was to think and make the try to replicate what went right, is just, you know, in some ways, just thinking about making that perfect shot and, and looking for the opportunity for that perfect shot. You know, I, I passed up an opportunity that I think was probably a, a good opportunity um, an hour before I ended up killing the, the caribou bull, but it just wasn't right like he was moving too much and it just it just had some things that were wrong to make that shot and i chose to pass and by choosing to pass i ended up getting the right opportunity and and making good on it and that felt really good and i think that that's why that was in the number two spot just making the right decisions all right well our countdown is now down to number one for highlights of the hunting season, number one, I'm calling the oven. This is my top hunting moment of 2022. I call it the oven for a couple reasons. Number one, it was August in Nevada and we were in a blind. And number two, I was hunting with my pregnant wife who's got a bun in the oven. So it was a double oven. <laughs> you know, I think when it comes to hunting, I, you know, I, I feel very fortunate 
I mean, I'm, I'm counting down 10 things of, you know, what I know are lifetime dream trips, you know, and I feel very fortunate for that. And that's one of the reasons that I like to share these, these stories and these podcasts and these tips and tactics, because I feel very, very fortunate that I get to spend a lot of time out hunting and doing these things. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, in a lot of the scenarios, I'm the hunter, but I also really love going and hunting and experiencing the hunt with other people. And for me, this was, I was like, I can't even remember. I don't remember if I uh, told this story or not, So, but I'll still dive into it here a little bit. You know, essentially we had found a good antelope due to a hot tip. We put up some trail cameras and scouted and knew that the buck was coming into certain water and pretty much daily, like very consistent. And it happened to just be the best buck that we found because we weren't necessarily, well, we wanted to find the best buck we could, but we wanted one that was pretty consistent. And so the first day, the buck didn't show up. And it was, he did show up. We spotted him, but he didn't commit to water. Like he didn't, he didn't actually even come that close. But it wasn't as hot as it had been. So it was kind of cloudy. And I don't know about you, but, sitting is not my strong suit and sitting in a uncomfortable blind in the heat is, you know, I was, I was like, I actually had a thermometer in there uh, just making sure that like it didn't get too hot in the blind. Cause it's hard to tell how hot it gets. And I'm like, I, I didn't want to, you know, do anything that would hurt the pregnancy or anything like that, obviously. So I was, you know, monitoring it and it, it was hot, but it wasn't too hot. And then, the next day the buck ended up coming in and I was, I was like, a, I think I was more nervous than she was. I'm like uh, the buck, he, he circled us about four or five times and finally committed. And I had a, I, I'd cut a little hole in the blind to film through just cause I, I wanted to, but I, I was like, instead of being up and watching, I was just like, I'm just going to lay down. I just can't watch i was more nervous for her to and i it was i think i wanted to make a good shot like i didn't want the buck to jump i told her you know just like aim low and she shot and of course she made a perfect shot i mean hit that she couldn't you couldn't have hit the antelope any better and when it ran off i was like did you get him she's like yeah and i was like you sure like because i couldn't see she didn't know that i wasn't watching and put my binoculars up and by the time i put my binoculars up the buck fell over within sight you know 20 yards away and i was like oh my gosh nope you made a perfect shot you definitely got him and just like the excitement for her and you know knew this was her second animal with a bow and getting to share that together that was definitely a highlight for me i got to go on a lot of awesome adventures and and one of my favorite hunts was just getting to hunt and watching her shoot her first antelope with a bow so you know i think that the thing that you can learn from that is you know, take somebody that's fairly new to hunting or get somebody new into hunting take them out man it can be more exciting than if you had the bow or gun in your own hand you know for me i know like down the road i'm really excited to be able to take my kids out hunting in the future so if you've got the opportunity to take somebody out else out hunting do it because it might be your top hunting moment of the year. I hope you guys kind of enjoyed that little countdown, something a little bit different, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to, as I started to think back about the season and, and analyze some of the things, 
it was a lot of fun to kind of put that together. Next week, I'm really excited about it because next week, we're going to look at the flip side, right? This week, I was the hero. <laughs> I got to tell the highlight. But next week, we're going to look at that side that you really analyze, the, the times when things went wrong. Me and my dad always used to call them the shoulda, woulda, couldas. Like, the, I should have done that. Oh, if I would have done this, oh, I could have done that. So this is, I think, where we learn the most from. And honestly, the memories from the shoulda, woulda, couldas, some, some of them hurt. But some of them are just as good of memories because of the encounters that we had. So I think that you guys are going to like that countdown. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support out there listening to the podcast. You know, a lot of you that have left comments or ratings on the podcast, share the podcast with friends, family, whatever. Thank you guys so much. You know, I see, feel free. I know there's something on, I think it's Spotify. I've been seeing a few pop up uh, lately. So if you, if you do that, like it shows uh, your top podcast or whatever, feel free to tag me in those. I, I appreciate that. I'll try to send messages and maybe share a few of those. It's actually, well, I'm recording this podcast at midnight. I'm getting up at 3.30 a.m. So I'm going to take a short nap, maybe one last hunt for the year tomorrow. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be the last one. But, but yeah, so I w- if, you, if you get the opportunity to do that, uh, feel free to tag me. If, if I'm in service, I will definitely share those and, and look forward to seeing those. Uh, thank you guys once again for all that. You know, it, it means a lot to me. Oh, one thing I was going to say, I like to kind of address some of the companies and things that, that help support this podcast. And as you guys know, I mean, they support it and they've got incredible gear. Stone Glacier has been an awesome company to work with. And, and one of the things I was on their website today, I want to pull it up, but they have this holiday section. And of course, they've got the great packs and all the great stuff. The Sleeper Buy. I just I went on there and bought some today. They've got their Christmas wrapping paper. It's awesome. It's got like Santa Claus packing out a caribou. And then their Christmas shirts are really awesome as well. They've got like one where it's like Santa Claus in a bush plane flying presents. If you want something different, that right there is it. I actually, well, you can use our code, code LiveWild. And you get, I didn't realize this until I just bought that wrapping paper this morning. But you can use the code and you get two-day shipping for free if you use the code. So essentially, using the Live Wild code, it's like we're Amazon priming you. It's great. It's great. So there's, there's that option if you guys want to check that out. And I'm going to say until next week. Let's just count down till next week or till next week's countdown. I'll catch you guys later. 